Welcome to the most overrated, underappreciated, most viewed, underviewed podcast of all time. Welcome to the Prince of Fresh Air. This is your host, the most charismatic man in entertainment. And I'm looking forward to this conversation with this next guest. She is a high school English teacher out of New York. So you better be on time on Monday for Zoom or else. She's also an author of 10 years and self-published three books. We are already here. Stories from Longer Chapters, and one upcoming in September of this year. She is a black woman doing her thing. She's hustling, and she's out here doing great for the community. Let's introduce Jada Taylor. Hey, what's going on? Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, it's always nice to have a conversation while I'm living the American broke dream. You know, I think it's very important. <laughs> so, <laughs> Listen, that not that just the American dream? Don't put broke on that. Uh, oh, that's mine. That, that's okay. my take. Okay, you know, okay. With the whole COVID, with the whole COVID thing, it, it makes okay. sense. <laughs> you know what? It fits. Go ahead, rock with it. It goes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So we we gotta have a good conversation with this one. A lot of topics. Um, you know. So let me start off with this because I I want to you know talk about education. You know, since you are a high school English teacher, um, how did you get into? Uh, what made you choose to be? You know to get into education and how has that journey been, especially during the pandemic? Yeah. So, um, I was living my broke, uh, post-college life. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> okay. And, um, you know, you, you're on the West coast, so I'm on the East coast and those are two very expensive parts of the country. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, I needed, you know, a month. It, it was, it was like, I was over, uh, educated and underpaid. You know, and that seems to happen a lot with, you know, our generation, especially millennials. You know, we went into college in 2008, right before the recession hit. So when we came out, you know, things were kind of rough in the economy. It wasn't really easy to find a job. Um, and a lot of us had bachelor's degrees. So, you know, you really had to make yourself competitive in order to get into the field that you wanted to get into. So um, when I first graduated, I was really applying to like um, publishing houses, entry level editing, you know, assistant, associate type stuff. And that really wasn't hitting because I didn't really know too many people in the industry. So that was like my first like kind of crash course and like, okay, you got to, you know, expand your network and get to know people in order to get into these doors. So I was like, all right, what else can I do? You know, I've always loved writing. I've always loved talking. I always love talking about writing. Right. So <laughs> I was like, all right, you know, let's teach, you know. Um, so I worked, I did a couple jobs for a few years, but I like, I never wanted to be a teacher. Like when I told everybody I was going to uh, major in English, they were like, oh, are you going to teach with that? And I was like, no, like I'm going to be a best-selling author like I'm not gonna teach like ill I don't like kids <laughs> I was just like did not want to teach kids all day but eventually I realized that in New York teachers get paid really well you know and I was like and then also I saw a need right like I um had worked in like after schools and summer camps and everything. So I'm like, you know, and I grew up in the city. So like, I'm familiar with what kids here go through. Right. And I saw a need, you know, for teachers that came from the city that looked like them that could really identify and, and speak to them on a, on a different type of level, because a lot of what you see now are a lot of transplants. So everybody, a lot of people that are teaching in the city now, they're not from the city. They're from um, a lot of suburban places, you know, and they're white. Um, so it, that, that has an impact on the way that the kids um, interact with them. So, right. You know, and it, I grew up in New York. I, I mean, I lived there my whole life. Uh, I only been out in L.A. for two years. But that was one of the things I noticed, too. One of the most common things about teaching is, you know, when I go back for alumni day to my high school, it's kind of sad that teachers you know, for the most part, a lot of them are underpaid, you know, they, mm. a lot of their supplies, they pay for themselves, you know, they spend, they put so much time and effort into the classes and into the assignments that they do. And a lot of them are still struggling. And I think it, it's unfortunate that people who have a very important career and job in this in society aren't being paid for it. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think that's just maybe a common misconception or do you think that's an actual thing that's happening? No, I think it's very, very true, very actual. I mean, 
you know, you think about what is an essential worker, right? Like that term that has come out of the pandemic. Like, I think that honestly, that term is so elitist to me. Like I can't even (laughs) subscribe to it because I'm like, anybody who gets up and does something and puts it out in the world is essential. Like, yeah, like I'm not going to say I'm more essential than you because of this, that, and the third. There are professions like, you know, people in the healthcare field, who are who should be prioritized for certain things yeah that's true um but we're all essential we're all doing work to further you know our respective areas and our communities um but teachers definitely get the short end of the stick a lot of the times like if you just like google because you can google teacher salaries and all in other states and cities um it's it's sad like especially when you think about in comparison to like celebrities and basketball players and they getting all this money to play for what? I don't know how long the basketball season goes, but <laughs> it, is, it is not 10 months of a school year. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so that's just, what, you know, I, so I definitely agree with you that that's a real thing. Teachers being undervalued in the country for sure. Yeah, you know, I graduated uh, high school in 2014. And uh, we still joke about it sometimes, but I remember the gym teacher also substituted for science, right? And mm-hmm. you had, you know, a lot of teachers were ju- uh, jumping from class to class, doing everything. But it was, it, it was just one of those things. It was just sad to see the mm-hmm. underappreciation that they got. And, you know, we always talk about the pizza parties. We, we always laugh oh, about yeah. that. Like, oh my God, the why these slices so small, right? I know, <laughs> with a little cup of soda, right? <laughs> <laughs> Like we in preschool, but I know. <laughs> um, but it, it it's one of those things when you find out the reason why it's like that is because they pay for it out of pocket. And New York mm-hmm. City and and LA and I'm sure every place else is expensive. Right. Um, not as expensive as New York and LA, but I mean it is one of those things where there's not enough appreciation for teachers, especially during a pandemic. You know, I feel like the need for education right now is not treated with respect. You know, and I think. That's one of the biggest problems we face. Um, do you think there will be a shift um, in the future with how teachers are, are treated and maybe just a, a overhaul and how much teachers get paid? Yeah, I mean, as far as the budgets, I'm, I'm going to speak um, in terms of New York State. As far as the budget, I know the state budget is really depleted right now. <laughs> like it's it's really it's really bad, um, and a lot of money, billions of dollars, was taken away from the education budget. Of course, that's always the first place to get slashed. So, as far as teachers getting paid more, I don't see it happening within the next couple of years. Maybe about five years from now. We might get to a place where, te- you know, we the union can negotiate a better salary, but I don't see that happening right away. Right. Um, yeah, but as far as like the system giving more um, respect to teachers, I see that happening a lot quicker because a lot of teachers are going to start to demand it now. So a lot of educators are either leaving the profession or they're going to start doing their jobs a little bit differently. So a lot of people are like, Listen, I went to school, I went to graduate school, I did trainings, I did certifications, and I did all most of this out of my own pocket. I am an educated professional and you should treat me as such, right? Like I'm not a glorified babysitter who's just here to make sure kids have something to do. Like, no, like I'm here to profess knowledge. So um, a lot of teachers are starting to adopt that mindset and they're going to start um enacting that when they get back to their schools they're gonna start saying you know you and and also you let me work remotely for a year you force me to work remotely for a year so on days when I need to take personal days or I need to work remotely for whatever reason you should allow me to do that right and they're gonna start demanding that I I wouldn't be surprised if that was in the new uh contract with the union that, you know, instead of having making a teacher take a personal day and use their um, sick hours, they would um, do remote teaching for that day. So I feel like, yeah, a lot of stuff is going to change. We have a new chancellor now in New York. She's a, a woman, a black woman, and she's taught in New York City public schools for like 20 years. So I'm hopeful that 
you know, she'll come in and give us the respect. <laughs> right. As you deserve. Right. And you, yeah. the key word is public school. Right. Because this public school, I went to public school. I went to perform arts high school mm. and I've seen the difference between a public school and, you know, private school. Uh, it's just way different. I mean, yeah. in terms of budget, in terms of yes. pay, in terms of structure. And yeah. I feel like public schools itself, I, I'm pretty sure I could speak around for the you know entire United States. Public schools are just undervalued in general, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think they put enough emphasis on it. Not everybody is able to spend $30,000 on a private education. And mm-hmm. I think because people paid that kind of money for certain schools, they put more effort and more time into those schools where public yeah. schools is like, oh, if a kid don't show up for a week, Oh, we just call those parents and hope for the best, right? It, it, they don't push, you know, the budgets. They don't push the curriculum enough. Mm. And I think we need a over a complete overhaul, especially in New York, of mm. the public school system because it's just. I feel like it's not treated with respect. It's not treat you know students and teachers just aren't careful. And I think, especially when minorities, you know, a lot of a lot of minorities don't. Un- they don't like going to school because they feel like they don't get the connection and they don't get the attention that they need. And uh, I'm not blaming all of it on the teachers because there's a lot of people involved. Yeah, of course. But it seems to me that every time something goes left, it's the teacher's fault. The kids don't do assignment. All the teacher mother did something wrong. You know, Mm -hmm. kids don't want to go to school. All it's the teachers. And Mm -hmm. I think as you know, just the education system in general has to do better. You can't just blame the teacher. You know, the whole institution is a problem. Mm-hmm. It, I could be wrong. I could be oh. maybe a conspiracy theorist, but do you think you're that's... Not, you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. And I think you brought up a good point when you talked about the difference between the funding and the private and the public schools. I think a lot of people don't realize that a school is an extension of the neighborhood. They see it as something separate, just a place to send your kids, you know, and 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 we could, that could be a whole different episode about the way people view education as a whole. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, people don't see that the school is an extension of the neighborhood and it is affected by everything that happens in the neighborhood. So if the neighborhood is underfunded, more than likely the school is underfunded. And if the school is underfunded, then that means that we're producing, you know, students or, or you know, a curriculum. We're trying to run a school with no money, you know, and no support and no resources that's not going to be good for the outcome of the neighborhood because the children, right, are the future, as we say. So we want to make sure that they have the best experiences possible. So a lot of people, you know, when they blame teachers for a kid not doing their assignment, they're not looking at the whole picture. Like, what did that kid have to eat for dinner last night? If they had an opportunity to eat, where does that kid live? You know, do they live in a place where, you know, they can they can study at night? Is it noisy? Is it crowded? Are they in an apartment where they have their own room, their own space? You know, right now we're doing remote teaching and a lot of my kids are sharing their spaces with four or five other siblings, grandparents, other family members, and they don't have their own space to learn it. So, you know, to when we ask them at the beginning of the year, because I don't fight with my kids anymore. They're in 11th grade. We used to fight with them to try to have their cameras on. Uh And, you know, there's that thing of, there's that insecurity, right? Like, I don't want you to see where I live. You know, I don't want to be judged based on where I live. You know, and we tried to be a little flexible, like, well, can you find a white background, you know, just sit against the wall or something. And even that caused a lot of anxiety. Like, you know, like I might not be able to do that. You know, so after a while, we we didn't really push the issue. Um, but it's 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 it takes a lot of <laughs> audacity. <laughs> it takes a lot of damn audacity to get up and blame the teachers for everything that's happening in school. Like you really have to be oblivious to the world. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I, I want to I mean, buckle. Down, and you know, I want to buckle down on something. Uh, the the pandemic has changed teaching, right? It became mm. online. And you said a lot of students, you know, like to, uh, when they do Zoom, they turn off the, the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because, you know, just to make a little uh, joke, but I remember it went viral. This one kid, I think he was in middle school. He was in class and his brother, his older brother was rolling up weed on 
going to class, right? Mm-hmm. Like right there, just laughing, calling the teacher names, stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's just funny. I, I yep, just have yep. to bring that up. But listen, I, I don't see worse than that. <laughs> I, I'm sure you have. <laughs> but you know, it, it's something we don't talk about. You know, on a serious note, I don't think we talk enough about the issue that's coming. And I, I know a lot of um, students, uh, you know, I've talked to a couple of them and one of the biggest issues is discipline, right? There's no longer the the need to get up at five, six mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning to get ready to go to school. So a lot okay. of students are sleeping in late, um, right. you know, they're already home. So, you know, they might be playing video games at, oh, you know, yeah. as the teacher rambles. Right. And I think it's doing more harm than good because, you know, out here in California, the schools have been closed for the most part for the whole year. I don't even think any classes went back to in person. Mm. And I know certain places, I know New York started, you know, in certain areas, they started, yeah. you know, opening back up. Mm-hmm. Do you think the online uh, switch has done more harm than good? I'll say that for some kids, it seems to be working. Like some students who struggled in person, like are doing well online. Like they're, this environment works for them because for, for whatever reason, either it fits with their personality, mostly it's their personality. Mostly they, they like to be alone and, you know, they, they need minimal encouragement. So for some kids, it works for them. Um, and then there are others who it absolutely does not work for them and it's doing them way more harm because you got to remember when you're, when you're young, school is your life. Like right, you didn't, right. you know, those, that's where most of your friends are, if not all of them, that's where you get most of your interaction with people throughout the day. You spend more time at school than you do at home, you know? So to be home all the time is just like, and I like to think of it like this, like in, in March of 2020, we all had to become full-time whatever's we were. Like we were able to be like part-time wives, part-time girlfriends, part-time boyfriends, part-time kids. You know, like we do, we go to school, we do our shift, we come home. Hey, how you doing? All right. Person I live with. All right. Time for dinner, watch a little TV, go to bed. Right. Get up, do it all over again for five days. Now you are stuck with those people all the time. So you have to get to know them you have to you know learn to work and live together and things that you would normally do you're disrupting like you said their routines so getting up to to get ready to leave the house and go somewhere is very important for a teenager because it starts to build those habits of you know this is what time my body should wake up to do things not having that like having a break in that is really detrimental to them because then you know, after 30 days, anything becomes a habit. Right. You know, so it's really hard to then try to reverse that with little incentive. Like the only incentive now is going to be, okay, yeah, you can see your friends again, you know, but what if that's not enough anymore? Because I've adjusted to not seeing them all the time. Right. So that might not be good enough, you know? So I feel like there's a lot of damage that has been done with the remote learning, but I will say a lot of it comes from the system not paying attention to how to make remote learning better. They were so focused for the last six or seven months on how do we open up the classrooms? How do we open the classrooms? Meanwhile, 90% of the population is online learning. Figure out how we can get, you know, some things going on for them. Like we're at the point now where we could probably open up centers and kids who need um, special ed services or physical therapy services could come to the center, do that for a few hours and then go back home. Like there's a so there's so much that we can do to make this like a valuable situation for our kids. And I feel like the city, the mayor specifically did not do that. He just right. was focused on let's opening up, let's open these classrooms as much as possible because a few privileged parents called for it. But in our communities, our kids are staying home. So like we need to figure out how we can make this thing enriching that we have online. So. Right. And and, and I think that is the most important part, right? Making it yeah. fun. And one of the biggest things I do agree with what you said was habits, discipline. You know, mm-hmm. for me, throughout middle school to high school and even college, I, I developed a I get up at six. I do what I got to do in the morning. I make sure I I get on the train at a certain time. I get to school. I had a routine. And I think even for me during this pandemic, 
I had a life before this whole thing started. I was very busy, you know, gym all the time, auditions, you know, work, and I was busy. And then when everything shut down, and it's been a year now in California, everything's still closed for the most part. Yeah, I've I've seen the changes that I, I unfortunately I've seen my lack. I've seen the lack of discipline that happened. I was yeah. I, I felt more lazy. I felt less complacent. And I'm just being honest here. I, I know yeah. I used to love walking, you know, because right. I'm from New York. I love walking. Yeah. Now I'd rather just hop in the Uber mm-hmm. and, and just the discipline, just getting up and, you know, booking guests for the podcast or just doing interviews and stuff like that. I've yeah. seen the, the the change of mindset. I've seen how lazy I've gotten. And I've tried to break the habits. You know, I still have habits that I do. I make sure I work out a certain amount of times a week. But it's still it's still not what it used to be, mm-hmm. and I fear and I fear for the teenagers and and the and the youth, even mm-hmm. kids younger than teenagers, mm-hmm. because you get so used to just getting up, staying at home, you know, go on Zoom, get distracted sometimes, mm-hmm. and then you just stay home. So you play video games. You don't get the experience of going to class. You don't right. get the experience of waking up early. You don't get the experience of you know just being in person and learning, you know, asking questions and getting right. that interaction. Right. I, I, I'm not saying that the, the effects are irreversible. I'm not saying that. I, right. I think it's going to take a while, especially, you know, with the upcoming summer break, that's just another three months of staying at home. I think what's going to happen is, you know, if I'm not sure what's going to happen in September for mm. the most part, but I don't know how, easy is going to be for a lot of students to ease back into the in-classroom learning. I feel right. like it's going to take a, a, a while for them to get back into the habit. Maybe. Yeah. Do you think that's a possibility? Yeah. Like I, I'm fortunate enough that I work at a small school where we really focus on um, our kids and doing what's best for them a lot of the time and developing them. So we talk to them about routines. We show them our routines right? Like I'm definitely not as active as I was when we were in the school building, but I show them like, I get up at this time. I take a shower. I get dressed. I do everything I would do except leave the house. I get up, I get dressed. I wash my face, my hair, whatever else I need to do. And then I sit down at the computer and I start work and I work and I take my lunch and I work until it's time to be off and done, you know? So I think going back to school in September is going to be difficult for a lot of reasons. Number one, yes, reacclimating kids to those routines. That's going to be tough. Um, number two, reacclimating them to the school environment in general, because with kids, they're social creatures. And when they have a break in that, you know, they get a little awkward and they get a little funny. You got to remind them real quick, like, Hey, this is how we do things in the school building. Right. Like, I know you were on the block for a year, but now we're back in the school building. Here's how it has to go. And then also you got to remember when we go back, we'll probably still be wearing masks. We'll probably still be social distancing. So we're going to have to do a lot of, and I hate to use this term, but policing of those protocols we're gonna have to hey i know we used to let you hang out in the hall in groups but you can't do that you can't huddle you guys got to get to class you know it's, it's gonna have to be a lot stricter and tighter and they're gonna push back on that right the, especially the older kids like the, the younger kids you if you can get them in line a little bit quicker but the high school kids they're gonna push back right oh and, yeah, there's going to be a lot of lot of clashing between teacher and student. That those hallways going to be a tense place, man. <laughs> I'm telling you. And I'm gonna, I'm going to pick my battles wisely as I always do. Right, absolutely. <laughs> oh my god. It's it's it, we could talk about this all day. Yep. Um, but you know, one of the things I want I did want to talk to you about. And uh when I introduced you, I said black, right? And I think it's important because when it comes to teaching and just education in general, you know, we joke a lot about it, especially on Facebook about, you know, when was the first time you ever had a black teacher? Mm-hmm. It's, it, I, I feel like teaching still has a lack of diversity. There's not a, enough people of color teaching. Um, do you think um, it's just because there's just not enough to go around or do you think mm-hmm. there's just a, I won't say prejudice, but there's mm-hmm. just, you know, it's it's a lack of effort to put more 
uh, minorities into those kind of positions? Listen, when I was growing up, I felt like all my teachers were black or of color, West Indian, um, from different African countries. Like I felt like when I was growing up, all of my teachers were black. And as time went on, the, the process and the selection for creating teachers got a lot more divisive. So it's expensive to become a teacher because when most of the time when you're going through those certifications, you're paying for those tests on your own. So, yeah. So if you are someone who doesn't come from money and you know, you come from the city and you're cash poor, it's you're coming up with that money on your own to, to fulfill that. And that can exclude that has excluded a lot of people. Um, And there's been research done on how um, prejudice and racially biased those tests actually are and how on a as a whole black and Latino candidates don't pass as often. Um, Yeah. So there's research done on that. And then not to mention, you know, in your teacher preparation program now, like for your master's and stuff, you might be able to get that covered subsidize you have to usually like uh, agree to teach in the city for a certain amount of years you know you look you sign your life away um <laughs> you get that paid for but then those programs they could be a little bit racist and prejudiced too i mean because right college is an educational institution and all of these institutions have prejudices built inside of them so right. You are a te- you're a, a teacher candidate. You're go- trying to get into the system to infiltrate it, but you're also on the inside of it, fighting it while you're trying to get your master's degree. And you're also working inside of it, trying to help bring your children out of it while also getting paid from that system and, and supporting it because you're receiving a check. It's so meta. It's like, <laughs> I can imagine why so many um, teachers of color just say, fuck this, I'm out. <laughs> right. Because after a while, it just becomes, it, it, it really starts to weigh on you. The responsibility starts to weigh on you. And you're just like, I, I know that you call me a hero, but I just feel like a person who is taking on a load of weight of a community and years of injustices and everything that was done wrong. I have to be the one to try to rectify that now. Right, right. And I, you know, the, the key thing I wanted to point out was use of certifications and paying for stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's one of the things that's, you know, a hot button issue right now is college student loans. Mm-hmm. You know, first of all, let me say this. Um, you know, I went to school for theater, right? I graduated in 2018 with a B in theater. So I already knew I wasn't coming out making $80,000 a year. I kind of already knew that. Um, right. But I think some of the issues that people are having is that they go into school and they graduate with so much debt that, mm-hmm. you know, being a teacher, especially on certain salaries, it's just not going to cut it. Right. You, you got rent to pay for, you got, you got supplies and stuff that you have to pay for. So at the end of the day for you, it, it doesn't outweigh, you know, the, the cost doesn't outweigh the reward. And I think I got, did you want to, No, no, I was going to say that's also a reason why so many people become teachers is because there are public uh, service loan forgiveness options. So like, you know, if you're a teacher or a librarian or a cop or a firefighter, you can have. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, you can have your loans forgiven. So a lot of people become get into teaching for that. Interesting. So when do when do I sign up then? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Mm-hmm. You got to make it through 10 years first, though, and you got to pay for those 10 years right so your point still stands though uh, never mind it no, yeah no, your I'm point joking. still stands yes but you know just in in general too like the whole student loan thing is an issue you know colleges mm-hmm. is the, the 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 prices just went up over the years so much that it's yep. tuning a lot of people out a lot of people don't want to go to college and mm-hmm. it, you know not to make this a race thing but yeah. especially in the black community right mm-hmm. it's not seen as needed do you think that's just a, a generation issue or do you think there's an actual problem with how our education system, especially, you know, in terms of college and higher education goes? Yeah, I mean, I think this generation as a whole, like, you know, the, these young 
people that are coming up now, they're seeing other pathways to life outside of college. And I would, and I would say that's not only, you know, black young people, but other adolescents too, like a lot of white people, a lot of Asian people, you know, they, um, they're not thinking, okay, college job, marriage, kids, house, white picket fence, happily ever after retire at 60. Like they're taking alternative paths to life. And um, I'm here for it. You know, I talk to my kids all the time. Well, when I, I had a, an advisory group last year and they just graduated and I would talk to them and I'd just be like, listen, you have to go your own path. If college is not for you, if you barely made it through high school, like it was a struggle to pull you through, right. maybe it's time to focus on something else because college is just going to smack you in the back of the head with it then, right? Like you can study you could be studying your passion in college, but if you do not like school, you is probably not for you because it's totally different to, you know, to be a student all over again. That might, you know, you might want to explore other options. And some people really did. Like they had a lot of, I want to do YouTube. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I was like, that's work also though. Like, don't get it twisted. Like, don't look at people on YouTube. Don't look at content creators. Don't look at artists. Don't look at rappers and musicians and say, oh, that's easy work. Like, no, that takes work, too. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And you know. <laughs> oh, most you definitely. Know. And but, you, you know, one of the things you said in the beginning was, you know, actors and athletes get paid more. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that sometimes when you see success stories of people dropping out of college or just don't go to college and, you know, right out the gate, two, three years out, uh, graduating, you know, they making so much money that it makes your head spin. Right. And I think that too, is the issue with education, right. From college to high school, student athletes are put more on the pedestal than, you know, being the dude that gets straight A's, right. Mm -hmm. There's more rewards, there's more benefits, you know, the, 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 the guy that leads the basketball team gets better options. He gets a, a free pass in school. Where you know if he fails a couple classes, mm-hmm. all the basketball team will write it up and forget mm-hmm. about it. You know they go, they get scholarships out of nowhere. Yeah, you know a lot of them graduate and they either get to play professional sports or they play in the minor leagues, but they still make more money than most people. And right. I think you know sports in general is kind of maybe maybe I'm wrong. Get maybe I'm wrong, but I I feel oh. like sports is put more on the pedestal the education because mm-hmm. a lot of schools especially colleges their money comes from these sports so they're they're much more rather you know let people pass if they you know the star of the team there's mm-hmm. someone who's just trying to you know get good grades they, mm-hmm. am i being wrong here being too critical listen or? you got to give yourself some more credit than that because you're speaking facts right now you you know you're speaking some <laughs> facts give yourself some more credit no I'm my humble man <laughs> Yeah, man. No, give yourself credit. No, you're you're absolutely right. Um, I, (laughs) man, we when we got the announcement that school was opening, high schools are opening back up on next the Monday after next, and next week the not next week the week after that is the one more is the last week before spring break, and that's the week that high schools are opening. And we were like, why? What? What sense would that make? That makes no sense. The first thing that came out of the mayor's mouth in that press conference was, and PSAL is opening back up. They have been talking about PSAL sports for the longest time in terms of when they're going to open high schools. And I truly believe that that was one of the driving forces for them opening the high schools now, because other than that, it really doesn't make any sense. I mean, when you look at the calendar, we don't have that many more days of school left until the end of the school year. And then, you know, in high school, the schedule is a little different. Like we end a little like early June. Anyway, we stopped taking classes for real. And, you know, because right. you have to put in grades and do all that stuff. So, you know, so we got we have a little a limited time left with them. And, you know, I'm like, you're opening up. You want them to play sports. I'm doing this for sports. Yes. Right. <laughs> they're like, yeah, when they're going to start competing in the sport. And so now the sports season is going to go into the summer. So we're like, well, what about summer school? What about those athletes that need to do summer school? Are they going to have to do both? Or are they going to not have to do summer school? Like it's, it, it really is. It's, it's not that big of an issue. I feel like 
in my school and in lots of other New York City school, like the whole jock thing. Um, I don't really hear too many stories about it, but there definitely is like a pedestal of sports over school. Like, I mean, with our kids, they, they, you know, young people, they feel like school, school is the uh, antithesis to everything, you know, but I'm just like, no, school is the answer to everything. I'm like, you admire these people, but like they're smart because they did what they had to do in school. And even if they didn't, they educated themselves in some way. Right. You know, like I try to tell them that all the time. I'm like, Nas was a college, uh, was a high school dropout. So was Biggie. But if you listen to them rap, you will never know. Like listen to their vocabulary. You will never know that they didn't finish their education. Like you have to educate yourself in other ways. And if you want something, you got to put in the work for it. You know, you are not LeBron James. I'm sorry. I love you with all my heart, <laughs> but you are not LeBron James. I had a student who he swore that he was going to go to the NBA. He was like, oh, that is my dream. I'm going to play for the NBA. And I was like, OK, great. What team do you play for? Huh? I'm like, wait a minute. Hold <laughs> up. You like 14, 15 and you still don't play yet? Like. At this time, you know what LeBron was putting up by this time? Like, <laughs> so I'm just, I'm, I, I try to just be like, listen, if you're going to be all schools, not for me, this, this, and this, then when you find what's for you, get all the way in there. Get in there and do it. Don't half ass. Get in there and do it. And do it as soon as possible. Like, you know, you. I'm not saying nobody has it all together at 18. I'm not saying you have to go out there and, you're going to take on the world and I'm going to do everything that I ever want, fulfill all my dreams by the time I'm 21. That's not going to happen. No, it's not. No, but you at least have to have some idea of what you're going to do until I get there. Maybe I'll work my way until I get there. Maybe I'll go to my auditions. Maybe I'll go to, you know, networking events, do what I have to do. Just put yourself out there in some way, you know. Right. And, and, and you see in this too now with a lot of athletes, you know, a lot of athletes mm -hmm. make millions of dollars. Right? I mean, they can oh, retire yeah. five, five years playing in the sport. And then yeah. a lot of them, especially boxers and NBA players, they go broke. Right. Yeah. You know, they, they hit 40 years old. They got no money in the bank and yeah. now they struggling to make ends meet. And I think now you're seeing a shift where a lot of people are saying, yeah, I got to go back to school. A lot of you know, rappers, NBA players That's are going true. back getting their education. And I think yep. that right there is more important because it's telling people, it don't, I don't care how much skills you got, how much talent you got. What you know is more important. Your education is more important because you Nobody can, can the, take that. Right. You know, yep. you can bounce the ball, do layups and dunk, wrap, you know, wrap your cheeks off. But yep. if you don't know how to count your money, you don't know about credit cards. You don't know about loans. You don't know about anything. Then it all means nothing at the end because you're going to be right back to square one just with a little more fame and, and, you know, and legendary status. Um, but exactly. you know, um, I want to talk about, you know, you being an author, but I want to ask you one more hard hitting yeah. question. Go. Right. So on the heels of George Floyd, right. Mm -hmm. Black lives matter. Um, mm -hmm. this whole racial tension that we have right now, Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's hitting schools a lot. I had a I had an Asian teacher come on a couple months ago and she was saying that it has hit her school a lot. And she's from Washington. She was saying mm -hmm. that it really changed the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And I know coming from New York, you know, we both from New York. Um, it's definitely more prevalent because I mean, there's black people everywhere. Right. Right. Yeah. Has has what happened, you know, with the George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and, you know, the racial tension going on. Has it changed, you know, the focus of education? Has it, you know, spread? Has it, you know, caused a more conversation about diversity and, you know, appreciation of minorities? Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because um, that was something that was also on my mind. So, yes, in the classroom, you definitely definitely see the curriculum changing. Um teachers were being called on to address these issues a lot more and this was something I always did and you know since I started teaching like I was I was like yeah we're gonna we're gonna talk about it like we're gonna because y'all y'all are not living in la la land you're not living in wonderland you guys are living this stuff every day you know and you guys are seeing some of these effects 
you know, when you come in and I see a lanyard, RIP lanyard around your neck, I know you feel what's going on with George Floyd. You can relate to that. I know that, you know, so it's not something that we necessarily need to beat with a dead horse, which I feel like, you know, sometimes can be done. Um, But it is things that we talk about and there's ways to do it authentically. And I feel like schools are trying to approach that um, because I feel like in the past, especially when it when a lot of the um, uprisings first happened, it was kind of just like, let's just sprinkle this on top, you know, like, and we'll throw in a Black Lives Matter and we'll throw in a lesson on, you know, right. so, and it was like, the kids can read that automatically. Like they're, they're from New York, they're 17, 16, 17. They can read when somebody's calling bullshit you know, and when they're not really invested in what goes on. But when you embed that conversation throughout and you, you know, you try to make that conversation extend throughout everything that you do, don't give up on those things. That's when they start to buy in a little bit more and they can open up about those things, you know, because I feel like I'm so, so, you know, so many times it's just like, what are your thoughts? What do you guys think? Like, what are your feelings? What are your emotions? And a lot of times they're like, we don't know. Like, first of all, I'm still regulating my emotions as a young human whose brain isn't developed yet. And then also I'm still regulating my emotions as somebody that is experiencing this in the moment, you know? So in the classroom, I feel like the conversations are happening. We're moving to make them more authentic. I just wish they would happen quicker in the teacher lounge, the teacher's lounge, the teacher's meetings, the admin, the leadership meetings, those types of things. I wish that conversation was a little bit more prevalent. Right. And and that that goes to what I was going to say is that that's why I've been critical about what, mm-hmm. what's been happening, because my fears and it happens all the time. Right. Something happens, something big happens, people start talking. Right. But the yeah. media stops covering it. And people forget about it, you know, and I, I feel the reason why I ask you that is because I feel like I, eventually they're not even going to address it no more because nobody's, yeah. t- no, the media ain't, ain't covering George Floyd or Breonna right. Taylor anymore. It's not sexy anymore. Like, you know, right. It, mm-hmm. it came and it passed by. It's like the mm-hmm. 15 minutes of fame. And I feel like that, that is the issue I'm seeing is that, you know, once the 15 minutes pass by, like, oh, let's move on. Let's talk about yep. something else. But these are issues in schools that we need to address. And it's not just about the kids. It's the right. teachers. Because you could teach the kids all you want, but mm-hmm. the teachers are still holding prejudice or they still don't understand mm-hmm. why, you know, Tommy, who lives in a project, acting what he mm-hmm. do, then mm-hmm. nothing's going to change. It's going to go right back to the whole, I hate going to school. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to go there. You know, I'm going to stay home or go on the street. And I think these are the issues we need to, continue having and having it at a more prevalent rate not just oh another you know black man died all right let's talk about it right. again no we have to continue doing it you right know. like I, and you like yeah the 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 work needs to happen with us the adults how are how are you how am i as a teacher going to encourage kids to go to school graduate go to college do all this stuff if they don't see teachers who look like them working in their schools I'm, who's going to hire me? Y'all don't even hire teachers that, that are black and, and Latino and Asian and Pacific Islander and any other Hispanic and any, y'all don't even hire those teachers here. So why am I working so hard? Right. Every day you come into, you come into class and you're upset about something that took place at a meeting or a microaggression from another coworker. Why would I want to grow, grow up and graduate and deal with that? Right. You know, so we really need to model that. We need to have diversity and representation in the school building to show the kids like this is what you're working towards. Be, you know, and even if you feel like being a teacher is corny and you, you know, they don't make money, you don't want to do that. But just seeing that has more of an effect than we think. You know, it, it really does make a difference. And it really does say to them, like, okay, there is something for me to work towards. Cause I've had students who tell who have told me, like, you know, miss, I don't really want to be a teacher, but like, I think I respect what you do. Like, you're so young. Like, they couldn't, like, like oh, my God, you're so young and you're working and you're paying bills and you're doing this and you're doing that. That was an inspiration for them. They were like, I would never do it, though. But I love the fact that you're doing it, right. you know? So we got to we gotta show them that. We got to. 
Absolutely, amen to that. I, I think we, <laughs> I think we, we, we talked a lot about controversial issues. So let, let let's move on to a little more lighter side. Yeah. Uh, talk about your other career because you're not just sure. a teacher, right? You you out there hustling. Um, you know, you're also an author, right? Yes. And yeah. you know, I think especially right now in the pandemic, a lot of people kind of just slap the label on. Oh, I'm an author. I'm a writer. They slap right? a lot of labels on. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you, you know, you out there, you, you have two mm. books, you got another one coming on the way. Mm -hmm. um, tell me about your journey being doing that. And how has that, you know, helped you not only as a teacher, but just as a person? Yeah, I mean, uh, writing was something that was always just, you know, near and dear to me. I started off writing poetry as a young kid. And I had a really good teacher who encouraged me to keep going with it. Um, so you know, I always kind of keep her in the back of my mind, um, in the back of my head, you know, as I teach and as I move into different things, I think about her. And um, I just knew that like, once I started writing poetry, like I knew I was good at it. And I knew I liked the way people responded when I read my shit, you know, right. like I would perform my shit and just like, I would get such good feedback and responses. I loved it. You know, like I've I've always loved to perform like I used to dance and like I did everything, man. Like I would be in everything. And um, so that was just like a natural thing for me to like just share myself like with other people on stage, you know. So when I saw like a lot of the reactions I would get, like I, that really like encouraged me to like, all right, now you got to do something with this. Like you got to bring this to other people because obviously people are feeling what you have to say and right. um yeah so I mean when I was in college I, there was a time where I really I started to falter a little bit and I didn't really feel like I was good enough you know I was in a I went to school in Chicago I was in a midwestern town it was a lot different um the politics were a lot different you know People didn't really understand my voice, didn't understand my point of view. So it was hard. Like throughout that that time period, I would say from the period of about like five years, like I put off my my dreams of writing a book, publishing a book. I was like, all right, I'm not doing this. Yeah. Um, but then once I like graduated and I was out in the world and I started working and everything and teaching and stuff, I was like, I would be a hypocrite if I didn't write something and put something out before I died like I'm I'm getting up and I'm telling these kids every day this that and the third I gotta do it right. so I did it yeah so I just did it I just the, with the first book I just wrote it I think I was on spring break from school and I just wrote it and edited it and sent it to my sister had her edit it and then she was like oh it looks good it was just like a short book of um uh vignette short stories and I just published the ebook like on Amazon. That's what I'm talking about. And I think that goes in hand in hand with what you said earlier is that people are just out there doing their own thing. I think the days of, oh, I need to seek out a publisher. I mean, of course, eventually at some yeah. point you probably going to need one, but you know, the days of, oh, I, I have, I'm going to have to wait for a publisher to publish my work. No, the days are long gone. Now everybody's taking their career into their own hands. And I like the fact that, you know, you decided to to do that on your own. And I, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of writing. I used to write poetry all the time. You know, I used to, you know, the typical love notes. Everybody you know, did. You know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you beautiful girl. Right, right, right. <laughs> oh, okay, I, okay. But actually, I actually grew a love for poetry. I used to write a lot of poetry about racial things, uh, just everything, because hmm. words matter, right? That's why music is such a big part of our lives is because it's a form of poetry. You know, you got the rhymes, you got the lyrics and you have the message that come from it. And that's why a lot of people love books because it's, it's mind stimulus, right? You get to learn somebody's other perspective. And also too, you just get to learn, right? right. You get to sit back, put the phone down, or even if you are using your phone to read, but regardless, you, you take a break away from, you know, social media and you just yes. refocus and, you know, help your mind build. Uh, yes. How is the, is the writing process easy for you? Cause I know some people have different processes. Before we get right back into the action, thank you for tuning in to another charismatic episode. And if you're also interested in sending in voice messages or donating, 
or you can also do that as well. I would love to use the proceeds to go to a local food bank or a warmer house. And, um, you know, I can take up to, you know, $10,000, you know, I'm not going to complain, but yeah, thank you for tuning to another episode. Let me know your thoughts and opinions, what I can improve or something that you enjoy. And let's get right back to the action. Shall we? Yeah. Um, it's definitely not easy for me. Anybody who tells you that it's easy, they're lying. <laughs> Call them out right then and there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not easy. Like, it's writing is very difficult. Your brain is doing a lot of things. I'm not all right. Let, let me let me get the teacher philosophy out. Let me get the teacher. <laughs> let me get the Miss T, Miss T, Miss T. Let me talk like me. Um, it's definitely not easy. I have writer's block all the time. Um, even with the book I'm writing now, like I go through writer's block at least once a week with that book where I'm just like, I don't know what else I could say. And then I step away from it. I come back, I reread what I wrote, and then usually I'm able to pick up from there. Also, what I've recently started doing is like just creating plans for myself. So like creating an outline, like this is the first chapter um, book that I've written. So it's a lot different from writing poetry, like poetry, you one and done, boom, 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 you crank out like five poems in an hour probably. But like with a chapter book, there's so much that you have to keep track of continuity, plot holes, all these different things, character development. So I found that planning it out does really help me a lot. Like if I'm feeling really, really stuck, I can go back and look at my plan like, all right, so by this point in the book, where did I want, you know, my characters to be? And I can kind of modify it to that. But it's not easy. I, I, and I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about writing is that it's easy. You know, you just wake up, write a couple ideas and formulate yeah. it. And I remember I wrote a book in uh, middle school. It was a superhero mm-hmm. book. It was like 10 pages. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget it because it was one of the most incredible things I feel like I've ever did. To be able to write a, a 10 page book, especially at that age, was just like, it was phenomenal. It was the most dear for me. But I know writer's block. I know yeah. it takes a lot of work. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just waking up and writing stuff down. It takes a lot of, you know, practice, a lot of, you know, failed attempts. And it takes a lot of, you know, just learning because I'm sure every book you write, you learn something new about yourself or right. you just learn something new about the process. Right. Um, exactly. Do you think it is a misconception that writing is easy or is it just one of those things that people just kind of just assume? Yeah, I think it is a misconception. I think people see because what do we see at the end? We only see the end product. We see the book. We don't really see what the writer goes through. We don't see them being rejected. We don't see queries. We don't see rounds of edits. We don't see any of that stuff. We just see a book and a happy person is posing next to it. And we just think, wow, I can do that too. Not realizing that there's a whole process. Like, you know, you could talk to a lot of famous writers or just read interviews from them and they'll tell you how many times they've been rejected or how many times they've had to go back and rewrite or redo, you know, some part of their work or how much of their work was thrown out. You know, they wrote this whole thing and gave it to their editor and the editor probably chopped half of it, you know, or how many authors didn't have a say in what their cover looked like and just all types of things. You know, so it's a it's a very common misconception that a book just is born. It just is written. Like writing the book is probably like the least important part of publishing it. You know, there's so much that goes into it that is so much more difficult. And it's now and if you are the writer and you have to be the publisher, you have all of that in your mind as you're writing. That is a real weight and that can really like stump the creative flow. Cause you're thinking as you're writing this, I got to market this. I got to find somewhere to publish this. I need a print, right? I need this. I need that. And the format, all this stuff, you know, you need to do after this book is just done. Cause once it's done, it ain't done. Right. It's, there's other things that still need to happen. So it, yeah, I think it's a, it's a very common misconception. Yeah. I brought that up because I, when we was talking earlier, um, you had said that a lot of people assume like content creators, you know, being a YouTuber or just a content mm-hmm. creator in general is just easy. And it yeah. goes back to writing, right? You know, now that I see that side, because I've always been the dude that, you know, I memorize my lines, I show up to set and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. now I'm editing. I have to, you know, do the work behind the scenes. Holy crap. I, I mean, 
I mean, it's I, I see why some people make the money they do because yes. it's, it's not easy, right? It, you have to put in the work. And I think a lot of people just see the see the finished product or they see the dollar sign and say, oh, I want to do it. But when it comes down to, you know, writing, being an author or just content creating in general, they realize yeah. there's a lot more work to be done. And then eventually, once you get to a point where you can have people do work for you, but even then you still have to write the book. You exactly. still have to come up with an idea. You can't just write a book and expect it to be a bestseller. Right. Books or books that do well or books that's well thought out took yes. a lot of work. Development hell, you know, just a lot of trials and tribulations, right? So, yep. um, but, you know, one other question I want to ask you, um, mm. you know, especially with the pandemic, being cooped up at home, mm. has has that had a negative or positive impact or has it just been, you know, one of those things you have to work out you know, work through, but has it, you know, hurt your, your stimulus to writing? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question because it's like a double-edged sword. On one side, you are glad to have the extra time to write because the time that you save on commuting and, you know, ja, 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 ja with other people. Um, but then on the other hand, variety is the stuff of life, right? Like being out there, experiencing things, going places, that's the, those are the things that drive your writing and your creativity and your passions. So not being able to experience that definitely hinders what you can write about sometimes because it's like, wait a minute, I have to go back into my mind and remember what that felt like. Okay, hold on imagine that you are in a place with a lot of people okay what does it sound like but right because you haven't you don't have that to to draw from every day so it's yeah it's it's a it's every it's all of that mixed together um so yeah it's great and it also sucks <laughs> I'm so, oh I, you're telling me look i, I <laughs> and you're and you're an actor so like i can i can only imagine like i know you know working with other people and and playing off them and their minds and their energies. I know that that gives a lot to what you do. So. Yeah. Oh, most yeah. definitely. And it's one of those things. Um, I, I see the difference. Like you said, it's a double-edged sword, right? There's a part yeah. of me that loves just being by myself and being able to work on my, my own thing. But, and it was funny. I was just talking to my buddy who, you know, has a show on Netflix, but mm. you, 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 you miss, that that human interaction right because for me mm -hmm. i can memorize the lines all i want but it's all about the chemistry it's all about right. being around people i'm sure writing is the same thing you know yep. being stuck in your own thoughts all day every day you know you get tired of your own voice <laughs> right now, you feel like you're in solitary confinement right right and, um, but being around people interacting right i think one of the biggest things about uh writing acting content creating is getting ideas from other people right and you can get ideas from the internet, but being around people, having that human interaction, seeing people interact, seeing how people talk and have conversations, stuff like the little things yeah. that helps the process and it helps just you mentally. That's one of the things I do miss the most is that human interaction. So like now when I, when I see work, I, I pass it off when it says you got to work from home because mm. I've been stuck at home for almost a year now. Right. I want to be in person with people because doing things through the computer isn't the same. And, and I think a lot of people are starting to see that it's doing more harm than good. You're not mm. having that human interaction. So, yeah. um, but you know, we, we, we've had a good conversation. I, I think we, we've had a, a splendid conversation, you know, education, yes. writing. Yes. And if there's something that you wanted somebody to take from what you said, what would that be? Because I know you have a couple quotes on your website, but. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> my biggest, uh, I guess the biggest takeaway I'd like for people to, to have is just go, go in. If there's something that you want to do, there's something you want to pursue, go in and do it. Because as you can see, time is really not promised to any of us. And what we have is now is what we have. So go in. Amen. I mean, I mean that, that, that sums it up, you know, for me, I always said, I like the pandemic because yeah, I, I stay at home, but this is the time where you, you focus on yourself. You understand 
what you want in life. And like you said, time, I mean, a year went by like in the blink of an eye mm-hmm. and it's already almost summertime. And right. I so think- if you, if you spent the whole year complaining and depressed, you'd wasted a whole year. Right. You know, <laughs> go make that money. That's why, you know, it's funny. Um, I think it was Pete Diddy said it. He said, um, if you're not doing anything with your time during this pandemic, then you have no right to complain. And mm. I, I fully agree with that. Like for me, I'm not, I don't like sitting on my bed, eating Doritos, watching, you know, Marvel movies all day. Is it fun? Yeah. yeah but you're not doing yeah. anything and you do that five days a week for a year. I mean, the only thing you're gaining is a couple pounds, right? So <laughs> I think <laughs> I had to throw a little jab in there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's important. Like you said, do it, learn yeah. what you want. If you want to be an actor, if you want to be a writer, if you want to be a rapper, singer, anything, this is the time to put in the work and really yeah. focus on that. Because like when this pandemic ends, is either you got something going on or you're going to have to find a way to go back to work and, you know, continue being miserable. But, um, you know, I think That's, that was important. Yeah. And, and something else, though, with that is also to give yourself grace. Give yourself grace, because I think a lot of the things that we worried about pre-pandemic, we noticed that they don't matter as much anymore. Like We really had to like pare down our lives in a way to where only the things that were essential, you know, we we could do and keep. So a lot of stuff that you were worried about, don't even stress over that anymore. Give yourself grace. Give yourself time. Heal, because you know, with a pandemic comes illnesses and loss, and it's not a hundred percent happy. It's not going to be hundred percent happy and productive all the time. Right. Like feeling the emotions that come from that is real. So give yourself grace, but then get back in. Right. Absolutely. Any way you can, like, even if it's just reading something, like sometimes I cannot bring myself to put one finger to the keyboard, but I will open up a book and just read just read for pleasure, you know, like, oh, watch, if you want to watch, watch something that makes you watch a documentary, something you're going to learn from, you know, watch a YouTube video on how to do something, but just like, keep that mind going in whatever way that you can, like, keep thinking, you never know what can inspire you, you really do, you really don't. A hundred percent, and I, you know, when I end the podcast, I always try to end it positive, because I want people to learn from the conversation we have, and and one of the things I always say is I, I find it ironic that we have more hate in this country now during the pandemic than we did before the pandemic. We hate uh-huh. each other more. And I think the issue for a lot of people is being productive, being, you know, just focusing on your mental health. Stop hating the next person. You know, right. you home, take advantage of that. Be with your, your wife, your kids, your, your husband, your family. Right. And, and just learn, you know, for me, I go for walks. I, I I still work out, even though the gym ain't open. I still, I still do things. I still get up and move. And I think movement being productive is key because we're only moving forward. But if you go backwards, you're going to have a hard time moving forward again, taking exactly. two steps forward to take one step back. Um, but like I said, we had, we, we had a good conversation. We yeah, from New York, we you time. know what I'm saying? Good time. Um, <laughs> but, um, so where people can find you and, and your, your work and, and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, you guys can follow me on Instagram at the Jada Taylor. Um, my name is spelled J A I D A. I know. Um, <laughs> I not know. Jada Smith, but <laughs> no, no, not Jada Smith, even though. <laughs> I, I support all, all Jaders, okay? All Jaders <laughs> I support. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter at the same name, the Jada Taylor. Um, you can find me online at jadataylor.com. So that's where you can um, download my free publishing ebook. If you want to, you know, self-publish on your own, um, you can see some of my other works and uh, purchase my books. And um, I also just started a podcast last Ooh. week. Yeah, so um, it's called Do It Your Damn Self. <laughs> you can find me on Anchor, Google Play, Spotify, um, Breaker, and yeah, Apple Podcast coming soon. So yeah. Absolutely. Ooh, that was perfect. I yeah. love that ending. But like I always tell people, 
I, I need my $5,000, right? You know, people buying your books, I, I need my cut. I need my percentage. <laughs> Listen, that's fine with me. That's fine with me. I'm I'm happy to spread. As long as we're keeping it in the community, I'm good with that. I don't know if I'm keeping the community, but he's like, listen, I'm taking that money. <laughs> like, I'm I'll see to- you later. <laughs> yeah, like I'm catching, I'm booking something. I know that's right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> listen, I'm not mad. <laughs> but thank you, Jada. It was a great conversation. I'm sure I'm gonna have you on again because there's a lot of more things we can talk about. And I actually want to talk to you about a lot of other things too. But like you know, like I always say, a helping hand is a better hand. Thank you, Jada. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Taekwon. Oh, excuse me. Let me use the name. Oh, Let me use the name. Let me use the name. Prince of Fresh Air. That's what I'm talking about.